Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. Luke chapter 2. We stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Thank you, Psalmist, this morning for your wonderful ministry. God bless them. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 2. The Lord is good. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went down to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or his espouse, some of your translations say, who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make the word of God explode the life in our hearts today. I pray, Lord Jesus, come on, y'all, lift your hand. Just begin to call out to the Lord. We're here to encounter, you're not here to encounter a sermon. You're going to be woefully disappointed if you came here to encounter a sermon or a band or a person. We, we want you to encounter Jesus today because my pockets are empty. See, Lord, we want you. We want you, Lord. We want you, God. We want you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts this morning, Lord. I pray, God, as we open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you, Father, you would fill us with more of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God, we want to honor you this Christmas more than ever before. Lord Jesus, we want to make sure that you're central every day of our life, God. We want to make sure, Father, that Christmas is not just a day once a year, but God, it lives every day in our hearts, God. I pray in your powerful name, Lord, that we would encounter you, Lord, Lord, that we just won't walk out of here saying, well, that was a nice service. But God, that we can walk out of here proclaiming that we've encountered you in some form or fashion in the name of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord permission right now. Say, Holy Spirit, you have permission to speak to my heart, change my life, change my worldview, change my perspectives today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for the next few moments. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to make room. That is certainly not even close to an original title at Christmas, right? How many have ever heard of a sermon at Christmas called Make Room? Well, maybe five or five, 500. <laughs> I don't know. But I want to look at it specifically from, from an angle this morning that we make sure that we don't miss God today, that we make sure that we don't miss what God is doing in the earth today. 
being someone and being a church that, that cherishes the presence of God and the move of God and, and, and we cherish revival, I want to tell you it's important that we never become connoisseurs of a move of God. Because a connoisseur is somebody who knows it all. They've experienced it all. It's like the restaurant critic. They go in, uh, we'll give them five stars on that and four stars on that. And we can walk into any service and they get two stars for that. And, and suddenly we become, and it really describes so many people today in the American church, we've just become connoisseurs that come in and give a thumbs up or a thumbs down and a rating and a score. And what happens when we become that way, we absolutely will miss what Jesus is doing because I want to tell you as sure as I'm standing here and as sure as you're sitting there Jesus will likely do things the Holy Spirit will likely do something that number one you don't expect and when it happens you won't have a hard time recognizing it because you say well I didn't expect it to be that way I thought Jesus would come the way I've always worshipped him to my church for the last 75 years I thought Jesus would do things the way I've always imagined but obviously, as we read the New Testament, we see Jesus did a lot of things that blew people's minds constantly. We see this over and over. I'll give you a couple verses here in a moment. But we see this over and over. People say, we've never seen anything like that in Israel. right? We, we, we've never encountered anything like this. Because Jesus blew their minds when he came. They said, man, we've never seen anyone teach with such authority. We've never seen anybody do, we've never seen anyone do the works that he's done. And so I, I, I springboard off of this very familiar Christmas passage that we all love so much. And I want to key in on those last couple verses because the Bible says when they came to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the inn. Now, please understand, and again, you're not going to hear anything on this part that you haven't heard before. Bethlehem was a very small town. Very small. All right, I want to tell you there was no Motel 6. Bible scholars say if we think of inn in terms of like a hotel in the middle of town, we'd be disappointed. Probably what it was is people that rented rooms out, and maybe just a few of those. The Bible scholars say most likely what they had, because given the circumstances that we read about in the first five verses of the, of the chapter two here we just read, was that they had like a makeshift tent. And they had a big tent, right? And the people that were coming in town for the census, they, they basically could just sleep on the ground or whatever quarters they had brought with them, uh, you know, whatever they, they, they slept on the ground with. They could come under this tent, and that was kind of like the inn, right? That was like the place all the travelers coming to Bethlehem had to say. So think in terms of maybe a, a small uh, circus tent, you know, not like a big top, but, but, but that old-fashioned, old right, biblical style. Think, you know, think 2,000 years ago. There, there was this tent. There's this tabernacle tent. And that is where everybody had come, and that's where they were spending the night. And when Mary and Joseph got there, they're like, man, there is not one more inch of grass available in here. Like in Europe, right, they have what, what they call hostels where you, you go and you, you just, like, there's a room with, like, a bunch of bunks. It's like, yeah, grab a bunk, right, people you don't know. I know it sounds weird to Americans that, you know, we'd sleep under a tent with people we don't know, but, you know, that happens in the world still today. Here's a room, there's a bunk, have at it. And Bible scholars say it was probably more like that where there was no room under this tent. So they went 
to a stable where people had their animals tied up. And with this, I just I, I want to share some thoughts along these lines of making room for Jesus because I want to I want you to see this morning that we will miss Jesus if we don't recognize him. Bible scholars also tell us that when a bunch of Jewish people would gather like that, they often, right, as they as they would camp out for the night, it wasn't unusual for them to open the Torah, for them to open the prophets and begin to read. And some Bible scholars speculate that maybe the same passages that the wise men were studying that said, hey, there's a baby coming to Bethlehem. It's not beyond the pale to think that the people gathered under that tent were talking about the fact that, hey, you know, Bethlehem is the place where the Messiah, maybe they were reading in Isaiah, maybe the scroll was opened and they were talking about the Messiah. You know, this is is the town. And some of them were talking about prophetic words because, my goodness, if, if some men a thousand miles away, the wise men understood that there's going to be a baby born, I wonder who else was savvy to the, to the Torah and to the prophets was kind of thinking the same thing. This might be the time. Because there's a star. This is the town. And I began to think this week, how ironic would it be if they were in there having a Bible study, right? Talking about the coming Messiah, and here comes the Messiah in baby form. And they have no clue that it's him. And they miss him. They didn't perhaps know who he was, but perhaps they should have known he was coming. It's interesting that you think how Ironic would it have been that Bethlehem, the home, the birthplace of the Messiah, and here the Messiah shows up and no one even has a clue, even while they're reading the verses about him, perhaps. I have to think that if the innkeeper or anyone else there in Luke 2, if they'd had a clue that that baby right there was the Messiah or this woman who was about to give birth had the Messiah inside of her, that, that maybe somehow, some way they make room for him. And see, the message for us today that I want you to grab this morning is that it is possible to miss Jesus. And here's the rough part. It would seem from Scripture, the more religious you are, the easier it is to miss him. Because of all the connoisseur things I just talked about. I tell you what, you, you can have degrees, you can have titles, you can have more titles than Floyd Mayweather. You can have more degrees than a thermometer in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, you can absolutely miss a work of God. You can absolutely miss revival. You can miss what God wants to do. It's possible to miss you. It's possible to miss what God is doing. It's possible. Listen, we can miss revival. We can miss a move of God if we don't recognize Jesus. Jesus didn't want anyone to miss him. How many of you know that? He spent his entire ministry telling everyone that he had arrived, didn't he? Starting with the angels, they went to the shepherds. They began to proclaim, Jesus is here. When Jesus burst on the scene in Mark 1.15, Mark 1.15 records that Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus sends out the 72 disciples that he had in Luke 10, he told them to tell everyone something that he 
put in their heart. He said, declare to them that the kingdom of God has come near you. In Luke eleven twenty, Jesus declared to critics of who he was. He said, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. The kingdom of God has arrived. Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom has a king, and Jesus was declaring the king's domain, and the dominion of the king was now overtaking the earth. His whole ministry, he declared, the king has come. The kingdom is here, and the kingdom has a king. So you say, how would it be possible to miss Jesus when he's right in front of you? Well, one way, as I alluded to, it's possible to miss Jesus when he isn't what you expect. Or he does something you don't expect. Or he does something in a way you don't expect. Or he does something that's not your preference. That's often the time when, you know, revival sometimes can become very sectarian. And, and when something starts happening, people can easily dismiss it and say, well, that church is not my brand. That's not my stripe. That can't be God. And that we may not say that publicly, but that certainly is the thought. We can dismiss what God is doing in another place because it doesn't look like us. Now, obviously, there's Bible standards, right? It's got to line up with Scripture. There's got to be certain things, right? They're preaching Jesus, lift up Jesus. There's transformed lives. There's changed lives. People are encountering the power of God. Those things are common threads in all revivals. I'm just saying, sometimes God will show up in a way that will surprise you and surprise me, and it's real easy to say, I don't know about that. I thought it would be this way. I thought Jesus was just peace and love. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea he would say, go and sin no more. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. I, mean, I, I, thought, I thought Jesus was, would agree with me. I, I didn't know Jesus would say, unless you repent, you all will likewise will perish. I mean, those words are, are kind of strong. I, I didn't think Jesus would say that. Yet he did. The Sadducees came to Jesus. Again, this is a, was a powerful religious sect that actually disbanded not long after Jesus ascended to heaven. I'd like to think Jesus probably ended them on this passage I'm about to read. Right? The Sadducees were ended right here. Right? It was Pharisees they could, and the Sadducees, and they were like competing sects, religious sects within the Jewish faith. And I think Jesus actually ended them in Matthew 22, 9, or 29. These men were Bible scholars, and they came and they asked Jesus, like, you know, the ridiculous question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? So say a brother has a wife, and he dies, and pass her on, his brother, and they don't have kids, and, blah, 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 and who will they be, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus' response to them, Bible scholars, more degrees than a thermometer, he said, you are deceived. Two reasons you're deceived. This is what he said, because you don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God. Again, these were Bible scholars. How could they not know the word? Think about that. I mean, they had the Torah memorized. How could they not know the word? But Jesus said, you are deceived because you don't know the word, nor do you know the power of God. The problem was, friends, they didn't read the word, they read into the word. 
A lot of people in this country today, instead of reading the Bible, they're reading into it. They're fine. They take these little fragment verses that, that, that take them out of context and, and to fit something they're trying to support and prop up. And that's not reading the Bible. That's reading into the Bible. They read what they want to see in it. Why? Because they don't know the power of God. Because you see, when the power of God comes on you, the last thing that you want to do is justify yourself. The last thing you want to do is prop up some belief system that you had before. When God shows up in your life, you, you just feel undone. You feel broken. And all you know to do is repent and deeply repent and get right with Him. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. That we would have that kind of encounter with Him. That we would truly be free from our past and free from our sin and free from all the junk we used to think we had to have in our lives. We run the risk of missing what God is wanting to do in us and in his body when we are unable to recognize what it is we're looking at because it doesn't fit our comfortability level. God forbid we ever not be comfortable. God forbid we're outside of our comfort zone. God forbid we encounter God in a way that would blow our minds. God forbid that, that, that we would encounter Jesus in such a way that we would just think, well, I thought God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that to somebody. Because it doesn't fit with what we've always seen before. Again, Jesus clearly amazed people consistently. Mark 2.12 Immediately the man stood up, took a stretcher, and went out in front of all of them. And they were amazed. They glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Matthew 9, 33. After the demon was cast out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed and said, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Now you see, for a lot of religious folk, they're like, haven't seen it before, therefore we don't like it. We can't accept it. This is something that we have. Therefore, we can't embrace it. And that is the danger, my friends, of missing Jesus and missing what God is doing when we are not able to recognize that we have an all-powerful God who absolutely is in the business of setting people free and healing broken bodies. And it seems today for some, the jobs of God and Satan have switched. Some people think you're demonic when you pray for healing and someone claims a healing. I hear, I hear people who claim to be Christians say, well, that's demonic what they're doing. Well, the man got healed. I know, but that stuff ended back in, you know, in, when whatever happened and the cannon closed. And I'm like, come stop it with that. And it seems like today we have forgotten that God is all powerful. I know all of us would agree with this. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Can I, can I just summarize those three things for you? He can do anything, anytime he wants to. The Bible proclaims him, but the Bible does not contain him. He's almighty God. Bible calls him a lion. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. 
with a lion, the best thing you can do, <laughs> especially if he's on your side, just open up the cage and get out of the way. Say, Lord, I don't care if I've seen it before. I don't care if I've experienced it before. I just want you. I just want you. I don't want you to walk by my tent, God, and I miss you because I, I, I can't recognize you because I'm blinded by my own presuppositions and prejudices. I'm blinded by the way things I think always have to go. Um, I have this religious blind on me, this glaze over my eyes. I'm not able to see outside of my denomination. I'm not able to see outside of my little, little world, my little bubble, my little church, my little whatever. We understand God is almighty. He's awesome. He's all-powerful, and he can do whatever it is he wants to do. Sometimes it's not that we can't recognize him. Sometimes it's that we won't recognize him. You see, sometimes there's even deeper reasons why people won't recognize Jesus because the Bible says that men love darkness. The truth is many of you reaching out, loving on people who are lost and need the Lord. And it's like, man, it's like we just can't break through. Sometimes, my friends, it's just because they love darkness more than they love light. Paul tells us how this happens in Romans 1. I know I'm throwing a lot of passages. You can look them up later. You don't have to look them up now. But Paul tells us in Romans 1 that they knew God. They knew who God was, but they didn't glorify him as God. In other words, they glorified other things. They glorified sin, and their sinful urges were given priority in their life. It was given the place on the throne of their heart. Therefore, Paul says, their foolish heart was darkened. Paul says later in Romans that the believer thus is to cast off all such works of darkness from his or her own life. As Pastor Raekwon said, a uh, powerful word this morning, brother, when you were transitioning this morning, we have to throw off all, cast off all works of darkness. Paul also says, have no fellowship with those who practice darkness. Paul even says to openly reprove them. That's how much we're to distance ourselves from the works of darkness. In Ephesians 5, he says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So we ask this question, how could someone who's been in church their whole life not recognize Jesus? I believe it's because many times, and I'm just speaking from my American experience, and I realize that's just a fraction of how it's seen on the, on the planet. But I believe sometimes a filter Jesus is being preached from the pulpits today. You know, a lot of you are on social media. There's a lot of filters that make you look different. Like you meet somebody like, oh, you don't have sparkly eyes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. I I had a teacher have, well, yeah, I'll just say that. A, a, a professor and, and they're, they're, little picture looks nothing like them and I saw I was taken to class and I thought oh I've got the same professor and I saw the pictures like that's not him and I looked like oh I bet that was him like 30 years ago <laughs> the guy I know now that looks nothing like you that looks like, and I'm wondering if we have put a filter on Jesus as we preach him today. We get in the pulpit, and it's real easy to do, and we try to shine up the areas we think sound a little embarrassing, and the areas of, of Jesus that may be offensive to certain people. We try to shine it up a little bit, and we put a filter on Jesus, and we think it's just all one thing. And then when Jesus shows up, right, when God comes down and revival shows up, people are like, what is this? Because they don't realize with Jesus they've been hearing about, 
about is a filtered Instagram version of the Bible Jesus. Secondly, closely related to this, if we don't make room for Jesus, we'll miss what he is doing. We'll miss Jesus if we don't recognize him. We'll also, if we don't make room for him, we're going to miss what he's doing. Making room for Jesus requires something else has to go in our life. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Yahweh. People often create other things and worship it like it's Jesus. Sometimes people try to add Jesus to what they already have going on, right? It's almost like a hoarder. It's like, I can't get rid of anything. I can't repent of my old life. So I'll just add Jesus to what I'm currently doing, and that'll put a little gloss on it, and that'll make me feel better, and that'll pacify the demons, right, that are screaming out inside of me. And I'll just, I'll do this, and and this is what I'll add. I'll have all these things going on plus Jesus. But that wasn't the call Jesus gave. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, that's the Jesus that people sometimes have a hard time recognizing in America. The Jesus that said, deny yourself. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what commercial America says. You can have it all. You can have it now. I want to tell you, my friends, that's, that's a foreign cry to the God that we serve. You're talking about the carpenter, right? You're talking about the one who had nowhere to lay his head, right? You're talking about the one that was born in a dirty manger. You ever been in a barn? Nothing clean about a manger. I know they look nice on our, our, our shelving and under our Christmas trees. They're all neat and porcelain. But I want to tell you, if you've ever been in a barn where real animals live, there's nothing pleasant about that. The first most offensive thing that will hit you is a smell. And I mean, it's bad. He was born in a dirty manger. He died on a dirty cross. They put him in a borrowed grave. Is that the Jesus we're talking about here? Yeah. That's not that you can have it all. You can have it everything you want, Jesus. That's the deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, Jesus. Yet, that doesn't stop people. We'll create a Jesus who looks like us. We'll create a Jesus that agrees with me. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> I, I, I've created a Jesus. I'm saying this facetiously so somebody don't, you know, clip this and say, look, as a pastor. He's gone off the rails. No, no. Look, uh, facetiously, right? I, I've created a Jesus who looks just like me. He agrees with everything. He agrees with all my conclusions. Isn't that, isn't that incredibly lucky? Isn't that a, he agrees with everything I say and think. Kind of reminds me of the Israelites when they were being brought out of slavery, right? You remember the story how Moses had gone up the mountain and the people went ham, right? They're like, where's Moses? God's abandoned us. What's going on? Aaron, we want you to make a we want you to make a Yahweh for we want you here. Aaron, get here. They brought all their gold. The Bible said took the gold out of their ears, out of their nose, wherever they had gold. They brought all this gold. Aaron, make us this idol to worship. So Aaron fashions for them a golden calf. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've caught this, but 
This is what the people said as they worshiped that golden calf. They said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You see why God was a little upset. They made something in the image of a God, and then they gave that fake false image credit for being the very God that brought him into freedom. This is the God, this is the God, this is Yahweh that brought us out of Egypt. And it feels like that's what's taking place in America as people create their own God and their own religion. And even people say, well, we aren't religious. The truth is they're more religious than anyone because they've got a God on the throne that looks a lot like them and who agrees with everything they say. People today are actually very religious. Atheism is a religion. Wokeism is a religion. The inflated over-trusting of science is a religion. In all of these religions, though, you'll notice you have to atone. You must pay. There's only retribution and payback in all these other false religions, and it's just the opposite with Jesus Christ. He atoned for us. So therefore there is mercy and forgiveness for those who cease the game of charades and excuses and he gives grace to those that follow him in order to empower them to live the redeemed life of Christ when we surrender to him. And today I want to tell you, when you try to live holy, when you try to follow the word of God, people get confused. There's some people who try to call that legalism, but I want to tell you, they've confused legalism with the word discipline. It's not legalism. The Bible says, Paul said, I discipline my body. I beat my body. I make it my slave. There's certain things I'm not going to do. There's certain things I'm going to push myself in. It's not legalism. It's me being disciplined to follow the Lord, to honor him. I make my flesh follow. My flesh doesn't lead me. The Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit inside of me does. truth is, my friend, is what breaks God's heart will never fulfill yours. The things that break God's heart are never going to fulfill your heart. So for Jesus to come in, we've got to understand we've got to make room for him. This is a biblical act called repentance, a turning from our old ways. The innkeeper, the, the shelter house was full, no more room. Don't let this represent the way it represents. I feel so many lives today that are full of everything else. They're too busy. Too many irons in the fire. It's too crowded. We got too much going. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for church. We don't got time for God. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? We have to make room for him, my friends. If we think we can simply add Jesus to the rest of our stuff, I think we're missing the entire point of what it means to let Jesus come in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it all. The old has passed away, the, the new has come. The full verse, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, it died, you could say. The new has come. But Jesus came. He didn't came to be an addition to how things were already running in your life. He came to replace the old and the death. He wanted to take your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh inside. 
In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that he wanted to put his spirit inside of those who would follow him. What an amazing promise. What an amazing thing that God has done. What an amazing moment in history when Jesus came and he split time. And you can call it BCE or ACE. What do you call it? Whatever you want. It's still Jesus still split time. People don't want to say before Christ or in the AD in the year of our Lord anymore. It don't matter because it's still divided on the same timeline when Jesus came. What an amazing thing God has done to restore us and empower us and free us. Are you hearing me this morning? We got to make room for him. We got to be vessels. We got to be wineskins that say, Lord, whatever, whatever it is. I'm 55. I can learn new lessons. God, I don't care. I've been saved for 50 years. I got, I can still learn new lessons. God, I'm still, I'm still a baby in this thing. I'm not a connoisseur. God, I'm not an expert. God, I'm not one of these, one of these critics who come in and give five stars, four stars. Come on. I, I, it's not a Google review. God, I am an open book. God, whatever you want to do, God, come down. And I want to tell you friends i repent if i've ever been anything else other than that i repent of thinking i know anything because i don't know anything i want to repent of not allowing god have his way and move the way he needs to move in this place because that is how it should be and will be and going forward god will have his way is this making sense this morning last point if we don't make room for jesus what could have been may never be This is a rough point to think about here, but this is reality. If we don't make room for Jesus, what could have been in our life will never take place. The Bible tells us, we, we see it recorded in a couple places in the Gospels, that Jesus lamented over Jerusalem. After his three years of ministry, his life lived there, uh, uh, of making the announcement, the kingdom is here, I'm the Messiah. People, I, I've heard people say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. He sure did. He said before Abraham was, I am. Because sometimes people say, well, John 14, 6, Jesus on the way, the truth, the life. He still didn't really say he was God. He said it the most direct way he could in two there's more, but there's main two passages before Abraham was, I am. And then as he stood before the council being tried, right? And he called himself the son of man. That flies over American head because we don't understand that son of man is the highest title of divinity for the Messiah you could have given 2,000 years ago. Because it's citing Daniel who says the son of man will come riding on the clouds. And when Jesus called himself the son of man, remember the high priest did? He ripped his cloak. Blasphemy. See, don't, don't let anyone tell you Jesus didn't claim to be God. Oh, he, that's why he was on that cross. <laughs> he didn't get up there for healing people, even though that made some people mad. He didn't get up there for multiplying their food, even though that made some people full. He didn't get up there for preaching things that shook people's theology, even though he did that. He was on the cross in their eyes because he called himself God, the king of the Jews. 
And Jesus lamented, the Bible says, because they did not recognize or they would not recognize or perhaps did not want to recognize who Jesus was. And I want you to see this passage this morning. I want you to see the feeling here. Jesus, this is him lamenting over Jerusalem. I'm, I'm, I'm coming in for landing here. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. This was about 33 A.D. Jesus was talking about what happened in 70 A.D. When the Roman army flattened Jerusalem. And they did just that. They built an embankment up. This wasn't, this is what, this wasn't a two-week war. This took years. They went in there. They built embankments up to the wall so they could breach the wall. And the remaining living people in Jerusalem had to go to Masada. Maybe you've seen the movie or heard the story. They went up to the fortress on the mountain, and so the Romans followed them up there. The Ro- they weren't going to be, they weren't going to be denied. And Jesus was prophetically calling this out. He said, they're going to build an embankment against you. They're going to surround you. They're going to close in on you from every side. He's talking to Jerusalem. He's overlooking the city. The Bible says he's weeping. He says, you've missed your moment. He said, they will demolish you and you and your children within your walls. And they will not leave within you one stone on top of another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This was all avoidable. It was avoidable. And as I looked at that this week, I said, my God, how many people have gone through avoidable things because they would not recognize visitation from God in their life. How much unnecessary pain, how much unnecessary things have we walked through because we did not recognize God, because we didn't want to, didn't think about it, or whatever the reason, but we didn't recognize a visitation from the Lord, and as a result, we rejected Him, and things have gone south as a result. Jesus is saying, what's about to happen to you, Jerusalem, is avoidable. If you'd only recognized your time of visitation, if they'd have only recognized Jesus. How about for us, my friends? I know Jesus can save us from a lot of avoidable pain and missteps in life. Now, oh, please believe me, we're going to have trials and temptation, but nothing compared to what life without Christ is. I want to tell you, people say all kinds of stuff, but I want to tell you, it's, it, it can be very tough being a Christian. It can be very tough living a life in this world. But I'll tell you, it's way easier than going through life without Christ. Way easier. I don't ever see people that are poor mouth. Eh, I don't know. It's awful hard being a Christian. You ever tried being a drug addict? That's a special kind of hell that unless you've known somebody, you'd never want to walk through that. I could keep listing conditions and things that happen to people. And I want to tell you, I think you already know 
But I would much rather, we would much rather recognize Jesus and surrender everything to him. Now, I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about a full-on surrender to Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, we can't afford to waste one more moment. Because, you see, the new you is on the other side. The, the peace-filled, joy-filled life that, you, that you've been wanting to have is on the other side of that surrender. Revival, maybe on the other side of that surrender. We have to surrender to Jesus to get there. Maybe today you're here and you're watching online or here and in, in, in present with us in this room and you have a low level of faith. That's okay. I want to tell you God can work with your low level of faith. It just takes a little bit of faith to get the ball moving. Faith as the size of a grain of a mustard seed, if I'm not mistaken. Smaller than a peppercorn. That's pretty small. If we would have that, because listen, faith does not gravel. It moves forward. So understand, even if you have low-level faith, if you make the decision today for Jesus, you will only grow in faith from this day forward. So today, in other words, was going to be your weakest day. Tomorrow you'll be stronger. The next day you'll be stronger. Next week you'll be stronger. Today will be your lowest day of faith, and you're only going to grow in faith. You're only going to move from glory to glory. You're only going to get stronger in the Lord, because God will equip you with what you need and he will take you and empower you when you give him your yes even as from a place of small faith when you recognize him when you make room for him he will come in with everything that you need to become what he's created you to be you see God never intended for you to go into the promised land with what you had in Egypt He'll bring you out and equip you. But there's got to be an exchange. There's got to be a turning over. There's got to be a getting on the altar. There's got to be a relinquishing of the old so he can bring in the new. Is this making sense today? Would everyone stand with me? Lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I don't want anything to hinder. I don't want anything to hinder. As Pastor Raekwon said, hinder this flame. I don't want anything to hinder the peace, God, that you have for me, the joy that you have for me. I don't want anything to hinder that, God. I don't want to miss you, but I want to make room. I don't want to, I want to make room, God. I want to make room in my heart. I want to make room for you, Lord. I want to make room. I want to make room. And to make room, i got to empty some stuff out. There's some stuff in an old closet in the back of my mind that's got to go. To make room, there's some things, there's some relationships, there's some contacts in my cell phone that got to be deleted and blocked. There's some people I follow on, on social media. i got to cut them off. I got to make room. I can't have Jesus. I can't have his peace. I can't have his joy. I can't have, I can't have that empowering grace and that forgiveness if I'm still hanging on to the things that I'm asking forgiveness for. The Bible says he's rich in mercy. His mercies are due every morning. So even if he was about to run out, like on Saturday night, 
I think Friday night, like his mercy's real low. It wouldn't matter. That's not how it is. The next morning, it's like it's full. It's full. It's full. But he's waiting for you to make the exchange. Jesus, I recognize who you are. Jesus, I recognize you. In my heart of hearts, God, I know that your word is true. I know this is right. Your Holy Spirit is bearing witness. God, I'm laying aside my denominational blinders. I'm laying aside my glasses, God, that I have looked at you through, Father. I've had glasses that haven't been accurate. They've been distorted a little. They've been distorting my image of you. And God, I want to lay that down right now because Jesus, I want all of you. God, the new me is on the other side. God, the, the free me is on the other side. The joyful me, the peace-filled me is on the other side of this surrender that I'm about to make, this exchange I'm about to make because, God, I recognize you, and I'm going to now, I'm going to make room for you in my heart because, God, I'm not going to miss what you want to do. God, the things that you have planned to me, I don't want to look back on my life and say, man, it could have been different if I would have given my heart to the Lord. It could have been different if I would have surrendered. I want to do it now. I want to get that one area. I want that one area that, I, that I've held on to for years, and I, I want to just lay it down right now. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come right now as quick as you can to this altar. We're going to just pray with everybody who comes today as quick as you can. That's me, and I'm coming right now. I'm not going to go one more day. I don't want to ever miss the Lord. I don't want to ever miss what the Lord is wanting to do. Come, come, come. Come on. Come on. Come on, I don't want to ever miss the Lord. I don't want to miss him. I don't want to miss him. I'm going to make an exchange with him today. I'm going to make an exchange. Come on, give God some glory. Some people are going to make an exchange today. We're going to make an exchange today in the name of Jesus. Oh, Oh, anyone else? Anyone else? I mean, God's powerful enough, of course. He can do it right there where you're standing. But I think there's something powerful and faith-filled about stepping out and saying, yeah, that's me. I think whenever we can humble our flesh, that's a win, probably. Not probably, it is. Whenever we can humble our flesh, that's a win. That's a win. That's a win. That's a win. Oh, God, we're going to make sure we never miss you. We're going to never miss you. Any of our staff or deacons or elders that are available, would you just come up and just lay hands? Julie, could you too? Would you just lay hands on some folks and just agree with them in prayer? Just stand in front of them, put a hand on their forehead or on their shoulder and just say, man, I'm just coming in agreement with you right now. I just come into agreement with you right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Everyone else in the, in the congregation, if you wouldn't mind to stretch your hand towards these right now. Lord, right now, we don't want to miss you. We're not going to miss you, God. We're not going to miss you, Lord. We're not going to miss you. We're not going to miss you, Lord. We're not going to miss you, God. We surrender right now. We surrender right now, Father. We surrender right now, Father. Every part, every part of us, every part of us. And God, here we are. We're going to make room. We're making room for you, God. We're making room for you, Lord. We're making room, God. We're making room, God. Lord Jesus, we're going to get rid of the old. We're going to cut off the old. 
We're going to cut off contacts. We're going to cut off social media contacts. We're going to cut off attitudes. We're gonna, whatever it is, God. We're going to cut off. We're going to make an exchange. Whatever's been feeding my flesh in a negative way, in an ungodly way, Father, I'm going to cut that off in Jesus' name because that's, that, that's my exchange. That's, that's me making room. That's me saying, Jesus, what you have is so valuable, God. I'm going to give you the old right here. I'm going to give you the old, and you're going to come in and give me the new. And God, I just want to declare, I don't want to ever miss you. I don't want to ever miss you, Lord. I don't want to ever miss you. God, we declare, we declare, Lord Jesus, that what you have for every person in this room, God, nothing will hinder it coming to them. Jesus, what you have, the future, the blueprint that you have for every person in here, the Lord Jesus, every single one of them will, will come to that. God, it will come to fruition in their life. God, nothing will hinder your plan because, God, they're going to go all in for your plan right now. God, they're going to cast off every single thing that would distract, everything, God, that would hinder them. Lord, we lay it aside and we say, God, we recognize that you are moving in the earth today and we want to declare with one voice, Lord, Lord, we're with you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.